Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Hush Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kelly. And I'm Mariana. Today, we're going to be having a conversation with Scout Sobel. Scout is the author of the Emotional Entrepreneur book. And if you have been listening to our recent episodes, you know that this has been the book of the moment for us. Scout is also the host of the Emotional Entrepreneur podcast, and she is the co-host of the OKSIS podcast with her sister, Maddie, two podcasts that we absolutely adore and love. And she is also the founder of Scout's Agency, a public relations agency that focuses on landing women as guests on podcasts. Scout has found incredible success in the media industry. In her first year, she actually reached over six figures. So in this episode, we're going to cover how exactly she made that happen And Scout is truly such a big inspiration for us, as well as a business expander. So it's so amazing that we get to have her as our first guest on the podcast. We actually connected with Scout because we recently worked with her on one of her one-on-one packages. And it was amazing. She truly helped us so much. She coached us through some things in our business, as well as like, how to refine our messaging and our communication to land ourselves as guests on other people's podcasts and how to pitch our services better. So that is also something that we are going to talk about on this episode. We really covered so much in this episode. Scout teaches us how she built a strong foundation of self-worth and confidence. We also talk about the process of writing her book and how she brought that to life. And so much more sales calls, tips, like so much, guys. Truly, anyone's going to get something out of this episode. We hope you enjoy it. How are you, Scout? I'm good. How are you two ladies doing? Very good. Thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the show, our first guest. I feel very honored. I feel very honored to be your first guest, even though I totally invited myself onto your podcast. So (laughs) we're very happy you invited yourself on. So don't worry about it. (laughs) So we literally just finished reading your book this morning. So it's very fresh in our minds and we loved it so much. The highlighter has been rolling through that book like crazy. Doing hard work. (laughs) Yeah. So Definitely, I think that it's a book that I'll be coming back to over and over. The lessons were so juicy and so useful, and they resonated so much with us. So I think that we wanted to start the conversation taking you back to the moment where you first decided to write that book, because I know that writing a book is like no easy task. So we wanted to know, like, how did this idea come to you? How did you put yourself in the space to bring such a creative project to life? And if you had any mental blocks, any inspirational blocks during the creative process. So my first career goal ever when I was about seven or eight was to become an author. And I wanted to become a nonfiction author specifically, but a nonfiction book really has to come to you at the right time with the right idea, the right maturity. It's like live a little bit to write something specifically in a nonfiction format. So I, it was always on the back burner of my mind, but it really was the first thing that ever came to me that created this idea of someone I could be in the future or something I wanted to do in the future. And 
you know, at the time I started OKSIS podcast and my sister was really sick and tired of me saying that I had bipolar disorder. So I felt as if I needed a separate space to talk about mental health specifically. And that's when I started my own podcast um, in the pandemic in March 2020-ish. And so that's kind of when the idea started. I started doing solo episodes on the intersection of mental health and business since those were the two things that I love the most. I love entrepreneurship and I love mental health and I loved how they really crossed over. And so I started recording these episodes around, you know, the emotional part of being a business owner, the emotional part of scaling revenue, et cetera. And then I honestly think this is why I wrote the book. I'm I'm literally not kidding. My sister, when the pandemic hit, when the lockdown hit, she posted something that said, you don't have to write this, but your best-selling book during this time. You don't have to start the new company. You don't have to do all these things. And I was like, don't tell me what to do. I will write a fucking best <laughs> if I want to in the pandemic. And I think that's kind of where the seed was. And that September 2020, I just, I don't know what it was. I don't remember the moment. I just started reaching out to people, clients of mine who had written books. And I was like, I think I'm ready. And the idea of the emotional entrepreneur came at that moment. I was really... When I thought of the idea, I really was playing to my strengths. So I've always been a very quick writer. So I'm more like a flash nonfiction type writer. I can only write short things. So I knew my first book had to be a bunch of short chapters. I wanted it to be something more overview versus going into one topic really in depth. And I want it to be about the intersection of mental health and business since that's what I was loving talking about over on my podcast, my solo podcast. And so I remember when the name, the emotional entrepreneur came to me, I was sitting, my husband's car was getting towed because something was wrong with it at his work. And I was just sitting watching his car and he was dealing with it. And um, the emotional entrepreneur came to me and it felt like a lightning bolt. I was like, this is big. This is bigger than a book. It's a movement. It's a philosophy. It's all the things. And so I emailed the woman that was helping me come up with my book proposal and fleshing it out. And she never answered that email. She like answered another email. So I thought she didn't like the title. So I brought it up like one more time a couple of days later. She's like, that's it. We're done. That's beautiful. And so that's kind of how the concept came to be. I created an outline late 2020 of 25 emotional lessons that had helped me become an entrepreneur because when I started my agency, Scouts Agency, I recognized very quickly that the reason I was able to scale to a six-figure revenue in the first year wasn't because I knew how to do a PL or I knew how to budget or I knew marketing or I knew any of the fancy things that come with being a business owner. It's because I was managing my emotions really well. And then I realized that so many women weren't getting into the entrepreneurship game, not because they didn't have the resources or the education or the finances even to fund it, they were afraid. They had anxiety. They couldn't deal with uncertainty. They had imposter syndrome. And that's when I realized that this is a highly emotional game. So I created 25 lessons that I felt were the ultimate emotional lessons that allowed me to really grow and scale Scouts Agency. And to be very honest, it was the easiest thing I've ever written. It poured out of me. (laughs) Uh, Building Scouts Agency is much harder than writing this book. I wrote it in a month and a half. It spilled out. I finished like 30% of it on a weekend alone in Palm Springs. Wow. And yeah. I mean, I knew the material so well because I was living and breathing it. So that's kind of how 
the whole thing came to be. Yeah, it's amazing that you say that. And the name, the emotional entrepreneur is perfect for you. Like, I love it. I can't imagine it being any other name. I know. And I didn't realize how much it would resonate with people. People were like, whoa, I've never heard that before. I've never put emotional and entrepreneur in the same sentence. And I'm like, well, if you're an entrepreneur, you're waking up fucking emotional. I'll tell you that much. Yes, <laughs> extremely. And so it's really interesting that you also say that it was easy for you to write it because it's easy to digest the information. And I feel like all the lessons teach you so much. And some of the sections could be books of their own, basically. Yeah. And one of the things that resonated with us the most is when you say that your identity needs to be diversified and not be tied down to your job title or your business. And I feel that that's something that resonated with us because since we started our entrepreneurship journey so early on and so young, we have done that a lot where we tie our identity to the business and the success of the business. So what would your advice be for someone to build a strong foundation of self-worth? It's so interesting that you bring up that lesson because in all honesty and transparency, I think it's a lesson that I have the most difficulty integrating myself. But I think that what I've been able to do really well over time is to find my self-worth, not necessarily within my specific business. So If Scouts Agency were to go away tomorrow, if OKSIS were to go away tomorrow, if the Emotional Entrepreneur brand were to go away tomorrow, I'm left with my inherent value, which is that I love to create, which is that I love to be a co-creator in my life, is that I love my connection to spirituality, that I have an emotional resilience that I can get up no matter how many times I get down, that I love creating my future by design, that I love dreaming and having big visions. And so... All of those things can run through a multitude of vehicles. They don't necessarily have to run through Scouts Agency specifically. So while I identify with being an entrepreneur, I've been able to break it down into who am I just inherently? Like, what is my energy like inherently? And I'm someone who loves to create. I'm someone who loves to work on themselves. I'm someone who loves to expand and grow in the spiritual world and in the business world and in the mental health world. So. I see a life for myself outside of all these structures that I've created, which are my businesses. However, I will admit that the, the identity of the entrepreneur is difficult for me to imagine not having in my life. And I think that, you know, diluting it down to those values or those energies or those natural tendencies that I have, it doesn't necessarily have to be a business that I create through, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, entrepreneurship that I create through, but I always know that I will create because that's part of my essence. So that's taken me a while. And then also building a business is just strengthening muscles over and over and over and over and over again. And so the muscle that I've built out pretty well is if my business isn't doing exactly what I want it to, if it didn't hit a goal, or if I'm feeling in scarcity, that doesn't really mean anything about me or about my inevitable success. I don't like catastrophize anymore. I don't create this crazy story. Sure, if I need to get the energy out, I will. But at the end of the day, your business goes up and down. Things happen. Things don't happen. All of that kind of stuff. And I feel as if, especially getting pregnant this year, I feel as if I've been able to have like a center where things can be going on around me 
but I know who I am. And I just keep coming back to that emotion and that alignment every single day, which allows me to be in my true essence within these different identities. But if the identities were taken away, my true essence would still be there. That is amazing. And I always say this to my dad because he's always like, oh, but what if the business fails? And I'm like, then I have all these skills and I can go out into the world. If the business fails, there's another business. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like dating or having friends, you know, something goes wrong, you, you jump on the saddle and you get back in the game. And I think that listening to your story and reading the book, you mentioned moments where things dipped in your business, where you maybe lost clients, you didn't have enough revenue to like, make the payroll and difficult moments like that, that are essential in the entrepreneurial journey. Like it will happen that you get kind of stuck. And at that, at those moments, I think that I learned from you that you have to take like radical responsibility to get yourself out of those moments because nobody is coming to save. Yeah. That's if you, if you boil down entrepreneurship, that's the essence, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite quotes in my book is that I say that entrepreneurship is not you know, coming up with a million dollar idea or creating a flawless marketing plan. It's walking through the fire with your head held high. And that is the job every time, every day. So, you know, I speak a lot about the beautiful moments about Scout's agency and my entrepreneurial journey. And they're all incredible. And they're amazing metrics that I've been able to, to achieve. And I promise you that there's so many moments where I'm screaming at my house. And I'm crying hysterically and I feel like I'm in a pressure boiler and I don't know what I'm going to do that month. And that's also a reality of the situation. I've just gotten a lot better at not dipping too low and letting my emotions get too dramatic when something in my business doesn't go according to plan because I've, my business has not gone according to plan enough times for me to trust that it works out in the end because I'm a capable business owner and I know I'm going to do what's best for the business at the end of the day. Something that you also mentioned in the book is that essentially like what's going to get you out of those tough moments is setting a higher standard for yourself, maybe taking different action, unexpected action that will give you like different results. So what we wanted to ask you is, what were some moments in the early, early stages of Scouts Agency where you had to set a higher standard for yourself versus now that you're like carrying a seven person team and like, how are you setting a higher standard to yourself and to your team? Mm, such a good question. In the beginning, like year one, I didn't think that anybody would work with me if I didn't give them month to month contracts. So I felt as if no one would want to commit to a three, four, six month contract with me, which made my revenue impossible to predict past 30 days. And about month six or seven, I hired my first employee full time. I took a lease out on an office and half of my clients left. Not because we did anything wrong. We left on beautiful terms. They, most of them came back a couple months later. They were just pausing for a second. And I had no idea that was going to happen. But then again, I had no idea that they would stay because there was no contract in place. And so in that moment, um, things got pretty real pretty quick because I had all this new overhead that I wasn't used to, an employee salary, an office, my salary, and I didn't have a client. And so 
that was one of the biggest moments where I set a higher standard of one, my clients have to sign at least three month contracts to work with me at the time. Now we do four to six. And two, I had to strengthen that trust muscle that clients were available, that they would come in for me, that I deserve to work with clients. And so in that moment, because I had to, because I was literally like needing more money to come into the door to keep this business afloat, I created that higher standard out of necessity. And I and I it was out of almost like a survival need. And then it became my standard forever. No one, someone people have asked me if they work, if they can work, you know, no one, people have not asked me that in so long if they can do month to month with me, just because it's like not on my energetic frequency. Like they know I'm unavailable for that shit, right? And once you become unavailable for something, sure, you'll get people still asking for it. But eventually, you'll embody that next higher standard so significantly that people won't even fucking ask you because they know what the answer is, right? So that was probably the first time I really had to set a very specific higher standard for my business. And today, I would say that the higher standard for us is we are in a really beautiful position as an agency who was the first agency to offer a podcast tour as a standalone service as a PR strategy. We are experts and the leading agency in getting women as guests on podcasts to tell their story, expand their mission, all of the things, grow their audiences. Um, you know, we've become very good at bringing clients in, running four, six-month podcast tours, etc. But that's a one revenue service business. And so the next higher standard is that we are a multiple service, multiple revenue channel business. And so that's coming with some pretty big different visions for 2023. We have two, three services that are coming out next year that are um, a little bit more businessy, a little bit more big girl hands, as I like to call it. Um, so that's kind of the next level. Like I could stay here, right? I could. I could stay here with three account managers, a director, a client, an account coordinator, and my assistant, and we would be fine, right? Um, but I have a bigger standard. I have a bigger ceiling. I have a bigger vision. And so 2023, I think, is going to quantum leap what we've been able to create today. And we're really going to step into a place of being known as the experts in podcast stores. I feel like you guys in Scouts Agency are crushing it. You guys have positioned yourself amazingly. You even, I think, have podcast stores trademarked, right? Yeah. We're getting it trademarked right now. Yeah. But I put the TM there so everyone knows. Everyone knows it's happening. That is so cool. And that is something we also admire about you that you don't stay stuck. Like you keep doing these quantum leaps and you keep wanting to evolve and now a quick interruption to tell you guys about our upcoming workshop kelly and i are doing a free life workshop called the next era of your business this is a workshop specifically for online entrepreneurs who feel like they've maybe hit a wall does this sound like you Do you feel like it's become harder and harder to attract those high-paying clients? Do you feel like you have some sort of invisibility cloak around your business that's keeping you stuck? You look at your business, your brand, your website, and you know that there is so much potential for you, but the steps to get there are a little bit blurry. Well, we understand this feeling way too well, and we have come to learn a lot about how to get out of those stuck faces, and that is why we are doing this workshop. We 
will cover the three essential elements an online business needs to thrive. Number one being your limitless mindset, how to cultivate a limitless mindset. Number two, your strategic brand. Number three, having a magnetic website. These three elements combined and nurtured will truly be a recipe for you to grow and enter the next era of your online business. So if this sounds exciting, please join us. I know that when you're just starting your business, these three things get overlooked and get thrown in the someday to-do list. Because when you first start your business, your only goal is to survive. But there comes a point where you will need to go beyond surviving and enter your thriving era. And that, my friend, does require a different formula, different action. And that is what we'll be talking about on the workshop for you to set a strong foundation for your brand and your website and your business overall. So it's a perfect time because we're approaching the end of the year. So it's a great time to strategize. So we would love to have you. The link to register for the workshop is down in the show notes, but you can also go to ariastudio.co slash workshop to register. It's going to be a little group of entrepreneurs who are committed to their business growth. So if that sounds like you, then please join us. It's going to be really fun. Okay. Now that was all. Let's get back to the episode. What yeah. has been one key factor into building the success of Scouts Agency into a multiple six-figure business? The work I do on myself. If you imagine the business is a house, the CEO is the ceiling. And so the ceiling will only go as high as the owner, the entrepreneur, and the CEO. And for the ceiling to continue to go higher, the entrepreneur, the business owner, the CEO has to continuously dream bigger, bash limiting beliefs, get in the right mindset, embody what they deserve, and hold a vision that is... Sure, anxiety and self-doubt might might come up, but it's not rooted in that. So the reason why I've been able to build the agency that I've been able to build is one... I didn't allow emotional discomfort or moments of extreme emotional overwhelm and stress get to me. There was no option to quit. It was always go through the fire, always go through the fire, always go through the fire. So, you know, when people look around and see what I've created, it's beautiful and it's big and it's awesome. And it was really fucking hard. It's, it's really fucking hard. And those are the moments that I talk about candidly, but they're also the moments that no one will ever see. I'm not recording myself during those moments, right? But the reason I've gotten to where I am is because every time there was a fire, every time I felt uncomfortable, every time I felt like it was impossible, every time fear came in or uncertainty or anxiety came in, I decided to see another way. I decided to reframe my perspective. I decided to work on my mind. I mean, every single morning, I put... Uh, meditation on the first thing is I'm making breakfast because I have to eat first thing because I'm pregnant. I have to like literally make eggs like right when I wake up. And right now it's um it's a financial affirmation one. So it's just abundance affirmations over and over and over to seep into my subconscious. I'm pulling cards, I'm journaling, I'm doing Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations. I'm enrolling in Amanda Francis's money mentality course and I'm listening to that in the background. I'm reading the books that are going to feed my mind. And so Sure, there's strategy and there's the way we present ourselves and there's aesthetics and branding, which you guys are fucking experts at. And if there's the person who's not behind that, if they're not working on themselves and if they're not willing to push through their ego and their their traumas and their wounds, um, their business won't go higher. And that's why I say that business is a really, really 
emotional process. And it's like the biggest personal development game in the world. So I think that's that's what I attribute my success to is my willingness to hold discomfort and my unapologetic willingness to identify limiting beliefs and work on my mindset and my belief system and my physical and mental and spiritual self daily. I think that's why we connect so much because we love the personal development journey and investing in ourselves. Just listening back to you is just like, she's so right. We just need to work on ourselves. Another thing that we learned from you recently is about cold email pitching. So we can talk a bit about that strategy. So cold pitching wasn't something that was even in our radar. It wasn't something that we even thought about. Some people might think that cold pitching might be outdated, or maybe it's a strategy that doesn't work. So what made you at the beginning think to start cold pitching? And why did you believe that it was a successful strategy? And what are some tips you could give other business owners who would like to try cold pitching? Yeah, so I built Scouts Agency on cold pitches. So I started the agency February 2019 on a whim, pretty much with this idea that being a guest on a podcast was going to be the new form of PR. And at that point in my life, I was pretty used to starting projects and businesses and like seeing if they went anywhere and like doing it for two months and then, you know, kind of seeing that it wasn't for me or whatever. So I initially had no fear of jumping in when I had an idea. I was like, let's see how this feels. Let's create a deck. Let's email. Let's do a website. Let's see how it feels. So, you know, when I started the agency, I wanted clients and, um, I didn't have any. So I was like, where do I get them? And I was like, I'll just email them and I'll see what they say. Um, so I had a list of a thousand women that I put together on an Excel spreadsheet that I wanted to represent. And I emailed all of them within the first 24 hours and Gmail blocked my email because I thought I was spamming. So I opened up a second email address and then I had two emails for uh, a year, which was a total shit show and an organizational nightmare. Um, but you know, I think that when I, when I go back to that moment, like, how did I know to do that? I think when you're hungry and you want something to work, you come up with ideas and solutions and you try them on and you go in all in. And I went all in people who say, I don't know, clients, I don't know this, I don't know that. It's probably because they're not doing the most. Right. And I think there's a misconception about how much it really takes to get something off the ground in that sense. I mean, in the first year to get my roster up to 10, I think I emailed 2,500 people because I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a reputation. Okay. So this was around for a couple months. I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't have a personal brand. I didn't know what a site should look like. And so I used my skill set and I used my strengths and my strengths are writing and my strengths are connecting with people and my strengths are making people feel like there's a human on the other end of my email. And I also didn't have relationships with any of these podcasters, right? So I had to cold email them all the time. I get clients asking me all the time, are you cold pitching or are you are these relationships? I'm like, well, the relationships came from cold pitching. So my cold pitching works, right? Um, and so I think it's more about the energy of what are you going to do to bring it in? And where are you going to get uncomfortable? And where can you imagine things that you might not have thought of before. And the worst anything could happen is that you don't get an answer back. And believe me, they're never going to remember you. They get like hundreds of emails a day. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think the best example was how I initially got connected with Kat Sadler. I saw her at a coffee shop in Los Angeles. I was like, is that her? Is that her? 
And so I looked on the Wi-Fi and it said Kat Souther's iPhone. I was like, yeah, that's her. Um, and because, you know, when you see someone on Instagram and on TV forever and you see them in person, you're like, nah, you know, you want to be sure. I didn't bother her. Um, the minute she walked out of the coffee shop, I wrote her an email. And in the subject, I wrote, saw you at, and then the coffee shop name with a smiley face, like a creeper. And I said, hey, I saw you at the coffee shop. I've been a big fan. Didn't want to bother you. Loved your outfit. By the way, so you have a podcast. Here's what I do. She hired me a couple of days later. You know what I mean? So that's the power of cold emailing. And it's, you know, we're in a time and place now where in no other decade could you reach out to people this quickly. So when it comes to cold pitching, my entire success is built upon it. My future success depends on it. And so my tips are don't be fucking boring and dry and sound like a robot because people get those all the time. Like be you, be you. I put warmth into it. I say, love scout. I say, how are you doing? I say, hi, love. I say, oh, your, your puppy's so fucking cute on Instagram, whatever, you know, I, I, I prove that there's a human being on the other end. And if you can prove that, if you can communicate your essence and your vibe and your intention and all the good stuff about you and who you are as a personality, you're more willing to get an answer back. It doesn't have to be this like cold, like cold pitch, like cold sounds very cold, right? Do a warm one, warm it up, you know? And that's my biggest thing is one, be, don't be afraid to reach out. And two, infuse yourself into that email. Beautiful. Scout, actually, we worked with her on one of her packages called The Reflection of You. So she wrote us some beautiful pitches that we've been using. And honestly, I'm so excited to start pitching more because you never know who you can be able to work with because sometimes we see people on the internet that seem so far away. But the reality is that they're like an email away. They're literally not that far away. I went to lunch somewhere in San Diego and I was seated next to Hillary Duff, Ashley Tisdale, and Megan Trainer, like crazy. And I didn't go up to them because I just don't do that. But um, I was looking around and I was like, oh, I'm like one connected. Like I booked my client on Megan. One of my team booked my client on Megan Trainer's podcast earlier this year. Like I could have easily been like, yo, you had, you know, this person on and whatever. And she would have known who I was. And Ashley Tisdale and I have the same website developer. So I was like, it's so crazy how far away we feel from... And guys, I have like 5,000 Instagram followers. I'm not like a crazy influencer celebrity over here. But it's just crazy how 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 closer we are to different types of people than we, than we believe. I didn't have any connection with Hillary Duff, which was the bummer. You know, I was really upset about that. But, you know, one day, one day. One day, one day one for day. sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's why I'll also you inspire us because it's like you don't have this big Instagram following, but you still have such a successful and big business. And I feel like that is so attainable in a way because it's like, oh, you don't need to have these followers. You can succeed in so many other ways. In so many other ways. I would say that I have a better network and a better reputation among a lot of influential people than I do followers and a community necessarily. And um, I don't make money off my community. Like, okay, sis community, the sisterhood, they're not signing up for services. They're not paying for my stuff and et cetera. So my community that I've cultivated via OKSIS and the Emotional Entrepreneur is, is much more of like a giving back 
space and place for me to exercise my thoughts and my beliefs and hopefully help motivate people in the mental health and the entrepreneurship space. But it's a big misconception that you need a huge Instagram following to have anything successful. I know so many women who have over 100,000 followers and can't figure out how to monetize correctly their business. So it's much more about the work that you do and the people that you connect yourself with and the reputation you hold and the way you present yourself than it is how many followers you have. And Scout, after you cold pitch a potential client and they're interested in working with you, I'm curious like how your sales call framework works like and how it's changed over the years if it has because you started charging like 2000 around like smaller packages and now you're charging way way more like upwards $18,000 packages so has a specific framework in your sales call gotten you better results That's a really good question I I started getting more serious about my sales framework last year in the sense that I now track how many calls I get on, where the leads come from, um, you know, what percentage are we closing? So at the end of this year, my assistant's going to do like a really big analysis, whatever. Um, so we'll know how many calls I got on, how many cold emails we sent, how many referrals we got, how many people signed up for our intake form, where the clients really came from, and then who signed where did they come from? All that stuff. So we'll have all those metrics. That's really helpful in the sense that I know next year, if I need to bring in 15 more clients, I can apply that. Like, you know, we close 30% of the time. If I get on a call, most of the people I get on calls would come from this avenue. And then we can double down on that. So on the operational analytical data side, we've gotten a little bit more buttoned up in that sense. But I would say that the main thing that's changed probably on sales calls that I take today versus in the beginning is one, there's a lot more confidence that I have because I have a lot more experience. I am the expert on the call. There's so many prospective clients that come to me and I'm like, you're asking the wrong questions. That's not the right question to ask. That's not, you know what I'm saying? And so I have confidence and I'm less detached. I mean, I'm less attached, sorry. So I think before I would get on and be like, I hope they sign, I hope they sign, I hope they sign. And now I don't really get on with any expectations because they sign or they don't sign, I'm good. Like clients are coming, business is coming, money is coming. It doesn't matter how this specific sales calls go. So I really look at it as an opportunity to showcase Scouts Agency and the work we've done, as well as position myself as a leader in the space and the expert in the room and answer all of their questions and get really detailed in that sense. So I would say my delivery is better. I would say that I'm more confident. And probably the biggest thing I've had to work on that I'm pretty good at now is when I say the price, I shut up. I don't speak. Say the price. And I don't care if there's a 10 second awkward pause between me and the other person. They need to speak next, not me. Because I said the price and it's final. There's no custom this. There's no custom that. There's no, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's been one of my biggest moments when they ask the price. I'm like, here is my chance to be very, very firm and stand strong in my value because I know what this service is worth. And if I say it and then, oh, because I'm like nervous of an awkward pause, that shows that I'm not confident in what I'm offering. And so I think that moment for me has been the biggest thing that's changed. I say the price, I'm quiet. 
If they want something custom, it's not how we do things around here. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. I don't get scared or get into lack or scarcity. So I think it's just the confidence and the energy that I bring as well as I just have more expertise so I can provide more information. Sales calls are so interesting because you just get better and better every time. And it's like you always have to come in with the right energy because if not, it's it's going to flop. No, that it really is like a mental game. If you come in really desperate to a sales call, it's definitely going to show. If you come insecure, if you're like iffy about your prices, and if you set a price that feels too high for you, you might also like self-sabotage in that way that you don't even believe you're worth that much. Yeah, it's all energetic. And I'm really good at thinking of who am I talking to right now? Am I talking to the girl who is into money manifestation and abundance and spirituality? Or am I talking to like the CPA on Instagram? You know what I mean? <laughs> who am I talking to and how can I get on their level and their energy and speak to them from a place that they understand and know? And so it's a little bit about being a chameleon in that sense to support where the client, the prospective client is at in that moment or where her mindset works. So some people want to know that they're emotionally taken care of. Some people want to know that their results are taken care of. Some people want to me to break down the pricing. Some people want to talk about the aligned fit. And so it's up to me to determine what does this person need in this moment, emotionally, rationally, logically, and how can I deliver that to them so that I can fit that need for them in that moment. Sales calls are a big thing for us. I love sales. I'm like such, I love sales so much. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, Signing a client is very exciting. It's always been exciting for me. In the beginning of my agency, we would um, have a glass of wine if I signed a client and then we were drinking too much. So we stopped that. Um, (laughs) There's always like an excitement. Like I get Even today, I get excited about there's something so empowering and powerful about being able to communicate your worth and your value and your service and being aligned with someone who needs that from you and who is in a place where that's an energetic and frequency match for that. And then you come together in this collaborative way. And it's really special. And I mean, my business is interesting where I only work with women. And so I've cried on sales calls. It was really hard last week on a sales call. Like we talk about, you know, spirituality and God on some sales calls. It's just so awesome to be able to connect with women in a whole new way, a whole new business way. So I take a very non-traditional approach to sales calls. Like I take a very non-traditional approach to my cold emailing. Like I'm here as a woman business owner and I'm here to connect with you as a female business owner. And here's the value we can create. Here's what's in our control. Here's what's out of our control. Here's our core values. Here's what we promise you as a partner. Here's where we'll be honest with you on these things. And in that, I've found that I've been able to really connect with women on a deeper level in that sales call. And so for me, it's a it's a moment for connection. It's a moment for you to display your power and your value and your confidence. It's a moment for you to feel like the expert in the room. And it's a moment for you to grow your business. You know, I never... I understand that sales can have a bad connotation to some. I don't get it. It's not... It's, I, I don't attach that to my, to my world. But there is something so powerful about building revenue, especially as a woman. I'll say it all day long. I love to fucking make money, period. End of story. Give it to me all day, every day. I'm down for the cause, right? And I think that when women have money in their hands, the world is a better place. And so it's something that I feel really aligned. And it's something that I've worked on for the last three and a half years. But for me, sales is fun. 
mm-hmm. for us to <laughs> yeah i think i've never heard anyone talk about sales calls the way you just did yeah so that's definitely um a mindset shift for sure it's all, yeah. all a mindset shift everything's a mindset shift everything, everything. is mind, like everything you know what i'm saying like if something doesn't feel good it's a mindset shift you need to shift your mindset <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and now we want to switch gears a little bit because you're currently very pregnant of course mm-hmm. and we wanted to ask you some questions about that we are nowhere close to being mothers but nowhere <laughs> we're very interested in in seeing your point of view on on motherhood and we wanted to ask you like how do you envision parenting and is there any way that you're going to treat it differently than the way that maybe you were brought up and when your daughter turns 18 and like is now making big girl decisions and is stepping into young adulthood and what do you think she would be grateful for that her mother taught her mm-hmm. that gave her the tools and the confidence and the ambition to step into young adulthood yeah yeah my husband just went away to palm springs for the weekend on a baby moon and We did a workshop together where we answered all these questions and I think first of all the thing that I'm really committed to is doing motherhood very intentionally so I completely understand that so much is out of my control and that even with my intentions things could go totally different once she's here but there is a couple emotional things that I definitely want her to know Um, and that I am going to do my work my hardest and give myself to making sure that she feels this way. And the, the first is that she feels accepted and safe with me and her dad, that she feels as if she doesn't need to be a certain way or she should do this or should do that or fall into any sort of societal pressure. I want her from the beginning to always hang on to who she is. I think we come here into this life as this pure unstoried self and then society starts throwing shit at us and then we have to unlearn it when we get older to figure out who we really are and i want her to kind of get to a you know as much as i can i want her to never have to get to a point where she has to completely unlearn that to find out who she is i want her to always be who she is in some capacity there's a lot that i cannot control i can't control who judges her who shames her who does her wrong who hurts her who, you know, manipulates or whatever. I can't control that. But I want her to know that when she comes to me that I will see her for her fullest expression whether or not I agree with it or understand it or not. I might not agree with it. I might not understand it. You know, the generation our generation taught our parents anything. I know that her generation is going to bring things and I was like, "What? That's a thing? Like I didn't even know that, right?" And so For me it's about being non-judgmental and making sure that her purest soul has a place to dance and be and breathe in my presence. It's that I'm under no delusion that I can, you know, create a pain-free life for her nor would I want to. But my husband and I are really aligned in her knowing that she can get through hard things, that she has an emotional resilience, that uncomfortable emotions aren't things to run away from, but actually things to look into and delve into and clear. So healthy emotional processing, giving her the tools to feel confident in her ability to navigate the world. Again, not because not like in a way of taking away challenges, but in a way of making her equipped for the challenges because they're going to come. So there's that that I really 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 want. And the third I would say is that my work is my work. My work is not my baby girl's work. You know, there's like a 
there's a sentiment on the internet and I'll say it for sure that like your baby's your best friend, but she's not like, she doesn't need to hold my emotional baggage. She shouldn't hold my emotional baggage. She won't hold my emotional baggage. If I am uncomfortable and I'm working through something, that's my responsibility. That's not my little girl's responsibility. And so I want her to know, yes, that I'm not perfect, that I suffer from bipolar disorder, that my husband is now 12 years sober because he struggled from addiction and we made mistakes and life wasn't easy for us all the time. She'll know that we're not perfect, but it's very similar to the kind of philosophy that we go by on the internet, right? Like you don't process on the internet, you process in your real life. And then you come to the internet and you tell people what you learned. So in my processing moments, she will not know of those. That's my responsibility, not hers. I'm her mother. I'm not her best friend. And that has to be really clear. So I think, I hope when she goes out into the world at the age of 18, that she knows that challenging moments are okay, that they're normal and that she can move through them. She can walk through the fire with her head held high. And that at the end of the day, her dad and her mom will support her and accept her for exactly who she is. And that when she's in our presence, she can be that version of herself. So beautiful. I'm tearing up. (laughs) I truly can't wait for you to enter this new chapter in your life and enter this new identity. And I'm sure you'll be a great mom. And, you know, we know that you keep working on yourself all the time. So to wrap the episode up, since the name of this podcast is Creative-ish, we just wanted to ask you, what are some things that fill your creativity tank? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I really love reading. So I love fiction books. I know I read a lot of nonfiction, but a good fiction book with really beautiful prose is my favorite. Um, I'm really into aesthetics. So that really translates into the spaces that I'm in. So making my house look beautiful and my office look beautiful. So I get really inspired by spaces and I get very inspired by fashion as well. So really high-end fashion and all that stuff. I think those three things are things that I keep outside of my business world, but seep into my personal brand, obviously. Um, But visuals and writing, words and visuals are probably the things that make me feel the most creative. Mm. What What is one book that you would recommend or one book that you wish you could read for the first time? Oh, that I wish I could read for the first time. It's a very good question. I mean, I have my favorites. I wish I could read the first page of Lolita by Nabokov for the very first time because it's a fucking masterpiece. It's just like one page, the intro or whatever, first chapter. And it is, I don't think anything better or more complete has ever been written. I, I mean, it's, I just think about it. And I just get chills. It's just like the best piece of writing I've ever read. Um, I wish I could discover Lydia Davis's collected short stories for the first time again. I wish I could read The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera for the first time. That's a really beautiful book. Um, and I kind of just wish I could read Taylor Jenkins Reid's book over for the first time because they're so shocking and you cry every time. And it's like that emotional, like, whoa, what just happened? That's always fine. Um, but yeah, I would say the opening chapter of Lolita by Nabokov is a masterpiece. And the first time I discovered Lydia Davis's short stories, felt amazing and the unbearable lightness of being will always be one of my favorite top five books 
Well, we're adding all of those to our book reading list for sure. Yay! Yeah, we've been recently trying to get into fiction because we were in like a nonfiction loop for like three years and I haven't read fiction. So now we're like diving deeper into it. Well, this is what I do. I mean, I studied literature in college. So I did like older literature, either early 19th century, 1900s, or even back to like the 1700s, um, that type of literature. So I've always been really into fiction, but I found when I walked down like my healing journey from my polar disorder, my personal development journey, I geared completely towards nonfiction, personal development, spiritual books, all that stuff. Um, so what I do now and what I was noticing was that that wasn't really preparing me for sleep the best way because I like to read before I go to bed. So I'd read a business book and then like my gears would be turning all night and then I wouldn't sleep well. So every single night as a part of my nightly routine, I read a fiction book for 30 minutes to an hour. And that's when I bring my fiction in. And then I'll read nonfiction in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, on the weekends, um, in the morning. So that's kind of how I snap my fiction back into my daily life. And I sleep better, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's to make reading fun again, you know, yeah. and not like school. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, reading's always fun for me. That's why I studied literature. I would just read for We for love reading too, but it was just like, ugh, we just yeah. felt like we needed to implement everything right away. You got to give, that's the other problem with reading nonfiction too fast, is that you don't give yourself time to integrate. So like padding in a fiction book, is actually better because there's only so much you can do at a time. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on Scout. And this has been such a great episode. And we could really talk to you forever. Um, And ever. (laughs) I love you guys. You guys are the best. I'm like literally cannot wait in 10 years to hear where you guys are because you two are very, very special and ahead of the game in so many ways. And It's like an honor to get to be in these kind of rooms with you. So I'm excited to see what comes next for you two. Oh, that means so much to us. Thank you. So to all the listeners, where can they find you? Is there anything else that you would like to share? You can find me on Instagram at Scout Global. It's the best place. My link in bio or my bio has all the handles and information to everything I do. Scout's agency, my book. Obesis podcast, the Emotional Entrepreneur podcast, one-on-one stuff, all that stuff. You guys are smart people. You can go check it out. Yeah. I love to find it. So everything Insta- will be in the show notes. <laughs> or the show well, notes. Scout, we love both of your podcasts. It feels every time like we're having a conversation with friends, whether it's with you and Maddie or with you alone, you make us feel very safe and comfortable. <laughs> and we absolutely love you. So thank, thank you for you having for me. Coming on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Scout is a fountain of knowledge. We could literally talk with her forever. We really hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We would also be very grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe. And remember to sign up for the next era of your business workshop. We really hope to see you guys there. And it's going to be really fun. So don't miss out. Yes, you can sign up over at ariastudio.co slash workshop. And the link will be down in the show notes and you guys can sign up. It's completely free and we'll see you there. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.